survive and thrive. This is a podcast that brings you stories and perspectives on how leaders and organizations can not only transform to survive, but thrive in change. I'm your host and co-founder of Consinity, Jennifer Ayers. We're kicking off our podcast series featuring 19 stories and perspectives on how COVID-19 has created an imperative for change and what leaders and organizations are doing to respond to that change. With me today is Devin Bassinger. Currently, Devin is the VP of Strategy and Operations at H1. H1 is an innovative startup that offers a platform to connect stakeholders across the healthcare ecosystem for greater collaboration and discovery. Prior to that, he was the co-founder and COO of DeepBench, which provides a marketplace to access knowledge experts. He started that company while he was at MIT. I'll let him introduce himself in a moment, but I just want to mention that Devin and I met years ago at Accenture when he was focused on strategy and operations work in the high-tech industry. Although he grew up in Northern California, Devin now lives in Boston with his wife Ashley, married 10 years and she is a software engineer. I have great admiration for Devin, and I think our relationship is a great example of how bosses and their directs can really help each other grow. Devin used to work for me many years ago at Accenture, and now I come to him for advice on a number of different startup challenges that I have faced. We are so thrilled to have Devin as our advisor in the Consinity Network, and well, I'll let him say a few more words about his role and his background and what he's doing now. Thanks, Jen. You nailed it. I came to Boston initially for Accenture almost nine years ago and was working in strategy and management consulting. I worked there for almost four years and then ended up at MIT Sloan for business school. And when I was at MIT Sloan, I ended up starting a company. That company was DeepBench. I ended up being a founder and COO of DeepBench for about three years. And we were in the expert network industry and we raised a little bit of money and we grew it to uh, a good spot and to a spot where I knew that, you know, it felt like the right time to hand it off to a different manager that could run that business and continue to grow it. And at that point in time is when I went back to my career drawing board and said, okay, now I have this management consulting experience. Now I have this founder COO experience, but what's going to come next? And for me, that time was the very beginning of 2020, so January 2020. And I told myself I would give myself a couple months to figure out what I wanted to do next and make sure that I was making a good choice. Turned out that in March, I was feeling like I had found a startup that I wanted to join. That startup ended up being H1, which is a healthcare platform that collects healthcare data from around the world and puts it into one place and puts it in Dr. Profile. And so we have all the intelligence in the world on doctors from scholarly data to medical claims and and everything else that you'd want to know about a doctor. It turned out to be very timely. I ended up joining H1 right as the pandemic was getting going, but also right as they were coming out of Y Combinator and getting to raise a Series A. And so since that time in 2020, we ended up raising two rounds of funding with more than $70 million. And we ended up growing the team from about 15 people in the U.S. to more than 130 people in the U.S. today. Our revenue has grown, our company has grown, and because I was able to join pre-growth for much of that, I've been able to help H1 grow through the pandemic, through 
working remote and also through that, that period of hyper growth through our series A and series B. So taking a step back about a year ago, Devin was contemplating a pivot internally and then the pandemic hit. Almost exactly a year ago is when we announced our Series A funding. And the month or two before that, I was having a lot of career conversations. I talked to a lot of different startups that I could work with. I talked to people that were doing cool things that might be able to use my help. And one of those companies that I was talking to is H1. Our founders, Ian and Ariel, I had actually met them six months prior to that, just when I was a founder. We had, the first time we met was kind of as fellow founders. I think we had good first interaction together. And then six, seven months later, when they found out that I was looking for what was next, we got back in touch and they, they kind of gave me the pitch and said, we expect a lot of growth coming out of Y Combinator and we expect to try and raise the Series A we would be really interested in seeing if you might want to be a part of that with us to help us grow and help us raise that money and help us help us build this company. At the time, it didn't feel like a certain thing. I never would have guessed that we would have gone on to raise two rounds of funding within such a short period of time. I you know, would have been hard-pressed to estimate that like we would have grown to a company of 130 plus people just around the US in, within a year. To me, that's pretty pretty crazy to look back and reflect on. As the pandemic dragged on and Devin was deciding whether he should jump in with H1, what was going through his mind during this time of great uncertainty? I would say there's probably two parts to it. One part is the personal part. When I was consulting with H1, they're largely based in New York. At the time, there were only 15 or so people, but some of them worked in New York and some of them worked in California, where the founders worked for Y Combinator. I live in Boston. I was going to be the only person in Boston. And I was a little bit concerned that, you know, joining from Boston and me being the only person in my city, I might not be able to have the same amount of influence or be able to lead a team or the company in the way that I wanted to be able to. And I remember this is, you know, early March, Ariel, our CEO and founder kind of ended up in Boston and we were eating at this Thai place across the street from where I live. And he was like, what are your concerns about <laughs> coming to work with H1? I said, well, I've only been remote for a small period of time before, and that was at Accenture. And it was okay, but it was really hard to have the impact that I wanted to. So I'm really nervous that I'll be able to have the impact that I want to at H1, being a remote employee and being the only person in Boston. And to Ariel's credit, he had no concern with it. He was like, well, you know, it sounds like that's a concern for you. It's not a concern for us at all we think you're good and we want to work with you. And we have zero issue with like, we have very influential people in the company that are in California and New York. We have a Hyderabad team in India. And, you know, he gave me that, that remote pitch, but I had a lot of skepticism at the time. And then of course, you know, three weeks after that, everything shuts down in the country and the remote work becomes the norm from a sense of remote work. I don't know that it was beneficial to me, but I think something it did do was it kind of put everybody on the same footing, no matter where they were living. And we saw that for myself. And then exactly at the time that happened, we ended up raising our Series A, which meant we ended up hiring a good amount of people. We went from 15 people to 60 people within you know four months of that. The benefit of that was that the company was already willing to work remotely with folks when they found 
the high fit person that they wanted. And they did that with me before they had to. And then when the pandemic rolled around, we just had zero hesitation of hiring remotely. I think some, at the time, some companies were still trying to figure out if they wanted to hire outside of their you know, core headquarters area. But for us, from before day one, we were just willing to hire remotely. And so that led to us being able to find really, really strong people, no matter where they were located. And we ended up with team members in Indiana, in Texas, in California, in New York, in Florida. Basically, wherever we wherever we found them, we were able to get them. And so that was something that was that was good that we did. I applaud Devin and H1's acceptance of the remote work and the leap of faith that it took for both of them before the pandemic even forced that kind of remote work structure on everyone. Joining a startup during the pandemic, however, was an even greater leap of faith, in my opinion. With so many businesses closing or barely staying afloat due to the pandemic, Devin jumped on board to a new business in this time of crisis. I was coming from a period of business school and where I was a founder. And if anybody has been a founder of a company of less than 10 people or so, I think you can probably relate that you're, you know, the last one to get paid. And even though I was paying myself a little bit of money, it wasn't, it wasn't that much money. Even though you know, a lot of people would will talk to me even now and say, well, you know, how do you get into early stage, like growth, growth stage startups? Don't you have to take a pay cut? It's like, yeah, but this is, you know, this is like two or three times the salary that I was paying myself uh, when I was working my own company. So in that regards, you know, it didn't really feel that, like the same amount of risk that maybe other people feel just because that founder experience is so intense. And my wife, you know, she was so relieved that I was taking like a, a, a real salary uh, by joining a different company. In that sense, it didn't feel risky, even though I know other people would interpret it that way. The second part of that was market risk. Like when the pandemic happened, just a lot of markets shut down and a lot of markets picked up. And for a period of time, probably six or eight weeks, we didn't really know what the impact would be to our industry from the pandemic. Even though healthcare was becoming more important in a lot of ways, there were a lot of healthcare activities that were shutting down. And so we weren't quite sure where our customers would fall in the spectrum of that. Within six to eight weeks, we realized that it didn't really change much. We were still doing business. We still had an opportunity to invest in our business and grow our business. I don't know that I would say our, our industry got a boost, but I would say that it stayed, it stayed similar uh, to what it was before. And there was a slight preference because we have a ton of healthcare data and intelligence on doctors. Before, medical affairs teams and customers who were using us were able to engage doctors face-to-face when they wanted to, and now they weren't able to. And so because they valued those interactions a lot more, any prep work that they could do with intelligence or data that we had made the interactions that they were still having more valuable. And so for us, I would say there was an opportunity because there was a lot of shift in the market And because our market wasn't heavily impacted, it presented an opportunity for us to invest when other people were maybe worried about investing in their market. Now, Devin helps find new ways to add value across the healthcare ecosystem, according to him. Between March and December 2020, H1 went on to raise two rounds of funding totaling more than $70 million while experiencing 10 times growth. While this is extraordinary, Devin's path to a new business may be less unusual than we might think. 
According to data Yelp recently released, the U.S. has added over a half a million businesses in this past year alone. Some of these may be second chances with the government loans in the first quarter of 2021 after a brutal 2020. Others are new altogether. Either way, Yelp, in their report, said, the entrepreneurial spirit is evident, and it's evident in Devon as well. When I was in college, I tried to start a hardware technology company. We won some pitch competitions and spent all of the money on electronics and hardware parts to prototype our device. We ended up selling the business basically so that it could live on. Hardware technology startup is so much more difficult than a software startup. I had that experience. I had that before I got to Accenture. So when I got to Accenture, I knew that I I felt like I wanted to have that startup experience. And honestly, most of the time I was in management consulting, even though management consulting was going relatively well, I just had this big chip on my shoulder for me not having the guts <laughs> to risk it on a startup before I joined Accenture. But then when I got to MIT, I was just so committed to that path from day one I got to MIT. I, I knew enough about myself at that point that if I ended up in a traditional job post-MIT, then that said that was that was saying a lot about my risk tolerance. And basically if I really did want to start a company, if I really did want to work in startups, and if I didn't do that right after I graduated from from business school, then I was basically never going to do it. And so I shut down all these paths when I was at MIT Sloan and basically forced myself to do it because I knew that I would regret it so much and just carry this chip on my shoulder forever if I didn't pull the trigger at that point. It is important to note, however, just how impactful trial and error can sometimes be in business. While on this show, we try to cover stories of surviving and thriving, sometimes it doesn't always work out like that. But I believe that we can learn just as much if not more, from our obstacles and failures. And they hadn't been all failures for Devin either. His company, Deep Bench, is still thriving, even after he left. He's taken the lessons he's learned from all these previous ventured experiences and has applied them to the present day. When I think about Deep Bench and H1, I think they're kind of two halves to the startup story. H1 was started in 2017. I started Deep Bench at the same time. And so both companies actually took two or three years to incubate and figure out what worked and what didn't work before you know they were able to kind of start growing at a, at a high growth perspective. When I got to H1, I got there in some ways kind of right as we were transitioning from the seed stage or like incubation stage of a startup into the hyper growth stage of a startup. A lot of that made me feel comfortable <laughs> making the jump. When I left Deep Bench, we had a team of eight to 10 people working in the company. When I got to H1, even though we were getting ready to grow a lot, we still had you know 15 or so people in the US. And so it, it didn't feel like a hard transition at the time. And then I was able to kind of grow with H1 from that point. Starting a company in general is just, um, it's hard to describe for people who don't have an analogous experience, the best way to describe it is like you have this baby that you don't know what it's going to be. And you just give it all of your time and energy, hoping it turns into something good. And you're willing to sacrifice so much of your sanity and personal finances and you know mental health just to turn it into having a chance of being successful. 
for me at Deep Edge, that looked like, you know, I didn't pay myself for a long time, but we had, we had solidarity with my co-founders because we were, we were all making similar sacrifices. For my wife, she was living and working in Boston and I ended up leaving. I, I moved to New York for four months and I lived in a, a really small studio apartment in New York that had a bunk bed and a bathroom. And I, and I rented out the other bed and the bunk bed to a friend of mine who was also an entrepreneur. And we worked on our companies in New York for four months and uh, lived a very, very lean lifestyle. And my wife was in Boston the whole time. And then after we, when we were still working on Deep Edge and we graduated from Sloan, I moved to San Francisco for six months. And same thing, my wife stayed in Boston. So, you know, I was, I was working on Deep Bench for three years and for probably a year of that, I was living out of a single MIT backpack living in New York and San Francisco on the couch of a friend or in this tiny <laughs> studio apartment in New York. The thing that I realized through that was that even though from the outside looking in, it seems like, well, how can somebody be happy not paying themselves or you know, living such a scrappy lifestyle or being being away from your significant other for so long. For me, I was having so much fun with what I was working on that it kind of just turned into this monk-like experience where I was 100% focused on the goal. And I was so willing to, to go through that. And I was happy going through that. That built this type of resilience in myself that, you know, when I got to H1, things have been stressful at H1 but it has in a lot of ways not been anywhere near as stressful as it was when I was starting and founding a company. And so people might say, well, the growth you've gone through at H1 is tremendous. I'm sure there's a lot of challenges and it's true and there are challenges and there is stress, but relative to that founder experience, I just feel so at peace <laughs> with the challenges and so ready to take them on. So beautifully put. While I can't relate to living out of an MIT backpack, I remember when I was starting Consinity, it felt like for once I was following my heart and my gut, not just my head. It was nerve-wracking at times, but despite all of the uncertainty, I've never been more happy now in the last two-plus years of my career journey than over the prior 20-plus years. It's very fulfilling, and it's very self-actualizing. Going through those experiences made it so hard for me to compare myself to others, which was a positive thing because I stopped comparing myself to others. And then I can just really focus in on doing what I wanted to do and what I thought was the right thing. Even in my current role, having gone through the founder experience, having gone through the period of time where I you know, took a break to figure out what I wanted to do next, what that meant for me when I did end up joining H1 was that I was able to join without a lot of fear because I was able to take firm stances on things that I thought we should be doing or disagree with our co-founders or disagree with other leaders in the company and be comfortable with that because it didn't feel like it was a career risk or threat because of where I had come from. And so in that regard, that ability to not have fear and disagree with my team members in a substantial way when I feel it's warranted makes me more valuable to H1 than I would be if I was trying to preserve my own career (laughs) at the company. 
because I, I don't have that fear and because I'm willing to kind of navigate the ambiguity and risks, I end up being a lot more valuable to the company. So it's an interesting paradox that I've thought about. With all the time and dedication Devin gave to his company, Deep Bench, it also took a great amount of courage to leave it. It was such a hard decision to decide to leave Deep Bench. When I talked to my co-founders about it, their initial reaction was, well, you know, we we don't feel like it's a good idea for you to leave. We, you know, we want you to stay and, and keep working on this. But when it came down to it, I think I had put a few years into it. And I, when I was looking at the next few years ahead on the trajectory that we were on and the, the goals that my co-founders had for the business, I was just so convinced that somebody with renewed excitement could do that job better than me. And that's not something that I think is easy to acknowledge, but it's something that I took a very honest look at myself and just realized that I wasn't going to be able to put the same energy the next three years into the company that I did the prior three years. And the company really deserves somebody who would be able to put that same energy into the company for the next three years. That was really a lot of my decision-making because I kind of went through that thought process and acknowledgement and some grief you know, for leaving a company that you started. Because I went through it four or five months before I ended up actually leaving the company, it was an interesting experience too, because when I told people I was leaving the company and started talking about what I was ready to do next, I think there was some sense where people expected me to be sad about it, right? They expected me to, to be going through this like mental anguish of leaving the company that I had started. But by the time other people knew about it, I had already had four or five months to process it <laughs> and figure out what that meant for me. You know, I was just ready to run pretty much as soon as other people that I was leaving. And I think that worked out well. It takes a lot of courage and just a tremendous amount of care when you're thinking about taking that level of self-reflection and admitting to yourself, maybe I'm not the leader for the next leg of the journey. That takes a tremendous amount of self-awareness and a high level of EQ, I guess they call it. So very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I admire Devin's level of self-reflection and self-awareness. It takes a lot to decide that you aren't the right leader for the next leg of the company's journey. He left behind a great company, which is still successful today. So what are some of Devin's tips for surviving what will come and what will change? How can companies not just survive in these times, but really thrive? On the question of, you know, is now a good time or a bad time to start a company? I think it really depends on the market that you're in and really depends on your readiness to take on that challenge. I think if you're ready to take on that challenge and you have something that you're really passionate about, there's not a lot of external market forces that can convince you otherwise that this is the right or wrong time to start a business. I think you're just going to do it anyways. And I think that's the most important part, uh, as important as, as other things are. Really, it comes down to what do you want to be doing with your life and what do you want to be doing for the next year to three years uh, professionally? And if you are committed to that, I've found that you can find a way to make it work. And you know, it's led to a lot of personal satisfaction. So if you feel that drive, I would encourage you to do it. If you're unsure, I would let that bake a little bit longer. I've been through this process many times at my own company and now H1 where you know, we're trying to get a new product ready for a new market. And a lot of it comes down to being very curious and very aggressive in your learning about the idea or opportunity that you think you want to pursue. 
And what I mean by that is talk to as many people as you possibly can about the market or product that you hope to build and use all of that information to help you make a better decision. When I was figuring out what I wanted to do next after Deep Bench, I ended up talking to, I think, 80 to 100 people in three in two or three weeks. I had 80 to 100 conversations about what I could have done next. And it was basically a full-time job, but it gave me the, gave me the confidence to recognize what I wanted to do when I found it. And then when we've done the same thing at H1 for building or investing in new products, it's the same thing. You know, I, I've talked to hundreds of people in different aspects of healthcare businesses and just trying to understand how everything is connected together, validating assumptions and telling them how I'm thinking about things and getting new information on things that I hadn't thought of before. And what I found through that experience is that the thing that you think is a good idea or the right thing to do after two weeks of exploration usually isn't the same thing that you believe is the right thing to do after two months of exploration. And starting a business is such a commitment, you know, to honestly get a business off the ground. It usually takes multiple years. For, in, my, in my experience, it ended up being three, three or so years. If you are going to make that type of commitment, it makes a lot of sense to invest upfront and make sure, you know, spend the two or three months going really hard and really deep to make sure that you're doing the thing that you want to be doing before you dive into it for three years. Otherwise, you know, you do a couple weeks of research or you have an idea that you think is the right thing. And if you commit to an idea too early, then it prevents you from being adaptable to shift when you learn new information. Even if somebody's quit their job to start a company today, that's okay. But I would just caution heavily against getting married to an idea. Instead, I you know get married to the problem that you're trying to solve and really aggressively iterate the way that you will try to solve that problem. I think that's the right way to do it. Wow. Great advice. That does not ever only cover surviving, but thriving. That's awesome. That's great. Wow. I think that thriving I mean, absolutely comes down to adaptability. Is how, how quickly can you reassess what the right thing for you to be doing this week or this month is? Devin is touching on a theme that's cropped up several times throughout this podcast, pivoting. Almost all of my guests have mentioned it at some point, and I believe it's fundamental to survive and thrive change. Another quality of success that Devin brings up is not always knowing when to step up, but rather when to step back and letting someone else take over. In other words, knowing what you don't know. Also going back to being willing to say, I'm not the right person for this problem. In H1, as we've been growing and expanding incredibly fast, every month I need to look around and say, is what I've been doing the past month the right thing for me to be doing the next month? Just because I've been doing something historically at H1 doesn't mean that I need to be doing it for the next two or three months or moving forward. And very quickly, that means expanding my team and hiring people to do things that I've loved doing for the company so far. But as soon as I'm not the right person to be doing something, it's more important for me to find somebody better at doing it than myself than it is for me to cling on to some uh, you know, sense of, of stability and the responsibilities that I have. And I think if we didn't do that, there's no way in hell that we would have grown as much as we've grown over the past year. 
Great insights, Devin. I always like talking to you, and this is why I said in the beginning, it's really been so nice to have your friendship over the years. I've had such a profound respect and admiration for what you've accomplished, and your insights and ideas have helped me keep me excited about what I'm doing, and you give me different ways to view things that have helped me out in my journey. So such a privilege to talk to you today. This has been sort of the highlight of my week, I would say. So thank you. I couldn't agree more. I really love our connection and relationship that we've had from management consulting. And I'm so happy that it continues on to the companies that we've started now. Yes, indeed. I'm not sure that I'll ever take you up on your advice, though, to stick it out in a single room on a bunk bed somewhere with my backpack. But hey. Yeah, it was the right thing for the right time. Even like the the entrepreneur that I shared a room with in New York, I have this like unbreakable kinship with him now. Great. <laughs> He's just slumming it out together. So. Yep. And God bless your wife. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> there are a lot of things that we could dive into, but we would need a lot more hours. So how about I just ask you, Devin, if you could share your contact information so that if people are listening and they want to get to know a little bit more about some of your experiences and maybe share some of their backpacking stories. They know where to find you. Yeah, absolutely. Contact information, you can reach me at devin.basinger at h1insights.com, or you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to connect with you again, and I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, everyone, for listening and joining our episode of Survive and Thrive podcast. Remember, at Consinity, we empower the conscious leader to realize positive and sustainable change. Until next time, don't just survive, thrive. Take care.